It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because This Might Get Uncomfortable starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lauritsen. Today is a Friday, and typically on This Might Get Uncomfortable, we have a special guest on a Friday. I think actually this might be our very first Friday without a guest. And it's interesting if you, the listener, believe or intrigued by Mercury in retrograde. I wonder if that's at play right now, because it has been up until today and yesterday, we finally got into a flow. But previous to that, the last few weeks, and we are in Mercury retrograde right now as we're recording this, maybe not when you're listening, because I think it ends on July 11th, which is coming up very soon. Thank goodness. Today is July 9th. And I just wonder if it's a Mercury in retrograde thing because it's felt so challenging to book people, don't you think, Jason? It's like the miscommunications, the people rescheduling, and people that don't have equipment that works well or access to good Wi-Fi. I mean, just the, the amount of challenges we have to overcome in order to get a guest on the show, not to mention that Previous to COVID, we were recording every single guest episode in person, which, (laughs) Jason, don't you think like looking back on that, it felt like so much work? I mean, that was a lot of energy that went into scheduling to see somebody in person and then the energy that it takes to be with another person in person. And now that we're recording all of these virtually, it's like, are we ever going to go back to that? It's required so much pivoting and so much changing and so much flexibility. I think this retrograde period, Whitney, has definitely been an intensification of, for me, communication breakdowns or assumptions or for me not communicating clearly or talking to other people about lack of clear communication. And beyond that, yeah, it's been interesting not only in our business dealings and certainly my personal life, but other people around me. People's refrigerators going out and strange checks going missing and your Wi-Fi not working well today. My Wi-Fi not working well. You and I had a miscommunication yesterday around some work duties because we are are co-owners and co-creators of the Wellevator brand that is the progenitor and the brand that overarches this podcast. I like that word progenitor. I don't know if I've ever heard that before. You know, one of the things I take pride in on this podcast and life in general, Whitney, is breaking out some big vocabulary words, not for the sake of big vocabulary words of, hey, look at my big words, but I just like having a fluid, expansive vocabulary. So I'm going to bust out those big Scrabble words from time to time. (laughs) I actually used to kick ass at Scrabble, by the way. I haven't played Scrabble in a long... Oh, I would beat people's asses and wipe the floor. Like, If we were to ever play Scrabble for money, y'all better bring them dollars. That would be a creative business idea. I bet you there's a virtual Scrabble game. There's got to be. There's got to be. I'm surprised you haven't done that during COVID. You know, I invited you to do a game night. Right. And it hasn't worked out yet. But anyways, our intention is to flow in ways that we may not expect today as we usually do with this show. But what we're going to start off with is a behind the scenes look at how we run, this might get uncomfortable. And it's constantly changing. 
We have only been doing the show for, I think we're about to hit the seven month mark. Yes. Is that right? Yes. We're also about to hit 100 episodes, which is really exciting. This is our 96th episode and 100 will be here before we know it in less than two weeks, which is cool. It's nice to hit those milestones. And it's fascinating because even though we launched This Might Get Uncomfortable in December 2019, we actually started recording it way before that. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Do you remember the first month that we started? Was it in 2019 or was it in 2018, Jason? It might have been late 2018 as far as the intro episodes go. A little bit of backstory to go way back. We formed our brand Wellevator at the beginning of 2018. The concept of it, Whitney and I, as we do, like to brainstorm a lot of creative ideas and names and concepts before we choose one. We did the same process with choosing the name This Might Get Uncomfortable as we did with Wellevator. We really like to kick around ideas and brainstorm and really consider things dutifully before we make a decision. So Wellevator itself has been around since the beginning of 2018. And I believe, Whitney, we started recording some of the first episodes at the end of 2018. But I remember topically in terms of some of the first episodes about relationships. And I always judge it by like who I was dating at the time. <laughs> and you, How many different women have you dated since we started recording? Mm, three or four. Let me think. Four. Yes, four. The answer is four. <laughs> I wanted to give an accurate answer. So yeah, it's been four people that I have dated over the course of the formation of Wellevator and the launch of the podcast. So a little bit behind the scenes that Whitney mentioned, you know, we actually front loaded before we released this podcast publicly. Didn't we have something like 22 or maybe we had close to 30 episodes, Whitney? How many was it? I don't remember. I mean, that feels like an eternity ago. <laughs> It's amazing because the more you record episodes, even just a few episodes back feels like a blur. Today, I really wanted to dig into the behind the scenes of recording with guests, though. And I hope this is interesting to anyone listening. Maybe some people, I think, just listen to the show because they like us, which is really nice. Some people listen because of the topics or the guests that we bring on. And we're always trying to learn more about you. We actually created a survey that you can fill out at podcast.wellevator.com slash survey, or you can go to the show notes for this episode to fill it out because we're always looking for ways to refine our process and the guests that we bring on. And we're just curious about you, the listener, and, and what you want. What do you want to hear more of, less of, all of that. At the end of every show, we always give you some opportunities to connect with us. So we'll bring that up again later. I say that because I want to share the behind the scenes for potentially other podcasters. Yesterday, I found this incredible resource that allows podcasters to connect with one another and to kind of network and be on each other's shows. And it was really fascinating to me because I think it's interesting how most of our guests we've had on the show are people that we know. I guess like Jason Green, who is one of, if not the only person we've had on twice. Is he the only person we've had on the show twice so far, Jason? Yeah, we've threatened to have other people. <laughs> <laughs> threatened? We, I said it to be funny. We've been like, we'll bring you, we'll, like with Justin Polgar and Adam and some of the other guests, we've been like, we need to go deeper. We haven't gone deep enough. But so far at the time of this recording, yeah, Jason Green 
talking about attachment styles, talking about dating during COVID-19. I've really received a lot of benefit, yeah, from all of our guests, but in particular romantically in terms of communication, in terms of, I guess, taking a really good deep look at how I'm showing up in relationship. I feel like Jason Green's episodes has really given me a lot. He's really provided me a lot of perspective. And clearly to other people, because his first time that he came on the show was our number one episode by a long slide. Is that the right term? No, it's a landslide. Yeah. A long slide is the (laughs) one uh, when you go to the water park and it's really high off the ground and you're scared to ride it. That would be the long slide. Yeah, there was. (laughs) And speaking of which, as a complete aside, scariest water slide I ever went on was one called Der Stuka at Wet and Wild in Florida. I went 14 years ago. At the time, it was the tallest water slide in the world to the point that when you went down the water slide, your body would come slightly off of the water slide because of the lack of gravity at that height. It was terrifying. Well, you know what that means? Somehow somebody's going to find this podcast because you mentioned that specific water slide. Like that's going to show up in Google Analytics at some point. Yeah. But I also feel like I've definitely heard you share that before. And I feel like it might have been on a podcast episode. About Der Stuka? Yeah. And it even I don't know. sounds menacing. It even sounds like an evil German, like, <laughs> you will ride Der Stuka and you will shit your pants. <laughs> like, and it is. I mean, I literally thought I was going to crap in my board shorts. I didn't because I'm a grown man. Is it one of those water slides where you just go straight down? Correct. Yeah. I went on one of those and had an equally traumatizing experience. And I don't know if I've been on another one since. I just remember, what was the, I, gosh, I could probably look this up, the name of it. And it's one of those things where as soon as I hear the name, I'll probably embody more of the feelings of fear that I had. But I remember I was probably like 12 years old going to the local water park, which was called, <laughs> it was in New Hampshire. I grew up in Massachusetts. And It was right over the border in New Hampshire. Water country. That's the name. (laughs) Oh, God. I remember the... (laughs) Wait, what do you mean? Oh, God. Water country. (laughs) It sounds like a place that would have really crappy animatronic anthropomorphic (laughs) animals like Chuck E. Cheese with like an eyeball hanging out and like an arm hanging off. And they're like, welcome to water country. Gonna make you crap your pants. You kind of got the jingle right. Because I feel like maybe it had, it, that definitely wasn't the jingle, but it, maybe it had a little bit of a twang sound to it. Yeah. But the, the jingle went, water country, water country, have some fun. And there was like a whole jingle before that, but it definitely worked on me because I wanted to go to water country. I was actually obsessed with, what are they called? Water parks? Yeah, water parks. I was obsessed actually on another note. See, this is where we go on major tangents during the show. (laughs) I had no idea this was going to come up. But not only do I remember, oh, you know what I think it was called? I'm going to go double check as you're talking, Jason, but I'm pretty sure. The Soul Ripper. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) I don't know why this is making me laugh. It also, as a side note, reminds me of a really good TikTok I saw. And I think I've seen this a couple times because on TikTok, people tend to do their own versions and outdo each other. And so if I can find the specific one I'm thinking of, I will put it in the show notes at wellevator.com. Okay, first, let me tell you the name of the water slide, then I'll tell you the TikTok story, so don't forget. The name of the water slide, I'm fairly certain, was called Geronimo. Oh, because that's what they want you to scream (laughs) as you're dropping 175 feet to your death? (laughs) 
I'm going to look it up. I'm going to look up both water slides and see what, if they were the same height. What was your, oh, yours was called Der Stuka. I don't even know how to pronounce it. I'll look I mean, it up. to spell it, but I'll, I'll look it up. okay, you look it up and then I'll look up. I think it was called Geronimo at Water Country, but the TikTok video that is pretty funny. And I think this will make you laugh too, Jason. Who knew we were going to talk about this on the show? Cause this has nothing to do with well-being, but I suppose going to a park is part of well-being. I mean, it certainly brought me a lot of joy growing up, even though as an adult, I always hear people like talking about how dirty and full of chlorine and all the negative health sides of going to a water park, which is kind of unfortunate because of the amount of joy they can bring you. But anyways, this TikTok video is um, people kind of parodying how when you would get go to a water park and you would get to the top, you'd have to wait for the lifeguard to give the thumbs up for you to go down the slide. Remember that, Jason? I do remember. I do remember this. It always felt like incredibly confusing. So the, the video I'm thinking of is like this guy playing himself as a little kid sitting at the top of the water slide and he keeps looking at the lifeguard for the right signal to go down the slide, but the lifeguard keeps making confusing signals. It's just really funny. It's definitely not funny when I talk about it, describe it, but I will put it in the show notes and you, Jason, can watch it as well as any listener. As long as TikTok doesn't actually get banned, which currently there's been a threat from our president of banning TikTok, although I will link to a really great article I read on CNN today about kind of some of the not just pros and cons of TikTok from a like what's the word privacy standpoint but just also like what would the ramifications be and how there's like a lot of sensationalism going around about TikTok I feel like some people want to jump on the bandwagon that TikTok is this horrible place that steals all your data it's collecting all your data you know and it I might be super biased I don't think it's any worse than Facebook is because other social media platforms also collect a lot of our information and we're giving out a lot of our privacy as we talked about with Paul Jarvis on his guest episode. But anyways, things with TikTok are currently up in the air, but I'm hoping that it'll remain because it brings me a lot of joy. All right, Jason, what did you find? Two things. First of all, going back to the water slide, Der Stuka is 76 feet high. Now that doesn't seem like that many, but when you consider the math that a story of a typical building, my building code is about 14 feet. That means from the top of this water slide to the bottom, it's close to five and a half stories. Now walk by a building, look at a five and a half, six story building, and then imagine sliding in a near completely 90 degree angle vertically down into a pool of filthy tepid water it becomes terrifying. Like I can assure you 76 feet on a slippery water slide is it's horrifying. In fact, we're going to link to a YouTube video in the show notes because there are some POV videos that people have taken. (laughs) If you have any fear of heights as I do, one of the things I've dealt with ever since I was a kid, I am terrified of heights, which is one reason, Whitney, we go back to the title of this podcast. I have willfully chosen in my entire life to do things like the demon drop the Magnum XL 500, 5,000, 5 million at Cedar Point, another amusement point. I've gone skydiving. I've done Der Stuka. Knowing that I have a terror of heights, I have willfully chosen to do things to attempt to conquer that fear of heights. And I just want to say this. 
I have not conquered the fear of heights. When I went skydiving, when I've done the Magnum XL 5000, when I've done the Der Stuka, I feel like I'm going to crap my fucking pants every single time. Like it doesn't go away, but it does build my confidence in knowing that I can be scared to death literally of something like heights or use that as a metaphor for anything in life. And even though I'm scared of it, I can still choose to engage with it and do it. So I think on a higher, like maybe spiritual or mental level, I've done these things, I guess not to conquer them because my fear of heights isn't gone, but knowing that I can choose to act and choose to do something even in spite of being afraid of it. Well, there you go. We could probably wrap up this episode right there, although we did promise some behind the scenes. Before we get there, I don't know if you found this. First of all, I can't believe that I remembered the name of that water slide. That was completely off the top of my head. And it's pretty crazy when we think about all these memories that we have stored. I mean, again, I probably went to water country a couple times in my life. And I don't even know if it's still open. I haven't checked yet. But it is in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, which Jason and I went to. It's an amazing incredible part of New Hampshire. And I love visiting there. And I forgot that it was there. So actually, if water country is still open and you like water parks and you're allowed to go back to water parks, I suppose it'll be interesting to see if those will even open ever again, which is kind of sad to think about. But anyways, I'm impressed, Jason. Like, It seems like you've thought about your water slide a lot in your life, but I have only thought about the feeling of going down that water slide. I didn't know that I still remembered the name. So I want to give myself a little pat in the back and encourage you, the listener, like what can you pull out of your memory vault? <laughs> and lastly, Jason, I will say that to compare, Geronimo is only 58 feet. So considering the terror I recall going down that water slide in my early teens, I Imagine yours was really, really scary at what, 75? Is that what you said? 76 feet. Wow. I mean, that's almost 20 feet higher. That's crazy. The other thing, too, was as I was approaching the water slide, there was a boy who might have been, I don't know, between age 10 and 12, if I had to guess. And I see his body dropping at incredible velocity <laughs> from the top of this. I'm approaching, right? And I see his body dropping. He's screaming at the top of his lungs flailing his arms and legs as if he is trying to save his life. And then I thought, <laughs> why am I doing this again? Because I'm a glutton for punishment. <laughs> How old were you? I was 26 at the time. And so I saw this kid oh. screaming for his life. And then, of course, the <laughs> ego comes in. I'm like, I'm a 26-year-old dude like this kid. I'm sure. And of course, when I get to the top of it. Wait, who were you with? Like, were you trying to impress a girl or something? I already had a long-term partner. And we drove. We were living in New York at the time. This is when I was living in New York, and we drove with Gary Yarovsky, and the three of us went to this water park. We drove all the way from New York City to Florida, to Wet and Wild, to do Der Stuka. Like, it was a road trip specifically to do Der Stuka. And when you get to the top of Der Stuka, I just want to say this in closing, I think. You get to the top, there's not one water slide, Whitney, there are two, and here's the difference. The water slide on the left is where you have to push yourself Use your own momentum to go over the precipice. And mind you, it is so high and so much at a 90 degree angle, you cannot actually see the bottom of the slide. That's how high and how vertical it is. To the right, there's a trap door where there is a lifeguard <laughs> operating the trap door who does not tell you when he's opening the trap door. 
So I feel like you showed me a video of this. Like this is all coming back to me right now. Like I know you told me this story and it may or may not be in a previous podcast episode. But the interesting thing about this, right, is on the left, you are choosing to physically push yourself, even though every cell in your body is telling you, do not push, do not push, do not push. Whereas on the right, you are giving your fate over to the will and the timing of the lifeguard who presses a button and the trapdoor drops from underneath you and you go down the slide. So I chose, can you guess which one I chose? No. I chose to push myself. And here's why. Because it was harder and more terrifying to muster the will and the strength to push myself over the edge than giving my fate over to someone else and them doing it for me. So I chose the scarier thing in my mind, which was like, I don't know if you can actually push yourself down this thing. But I did that because that's the one that felt more terrifying to me. You've been skydiving before, right? Like, didn't you go before I did? I did. I went in the year 2000, actually. And what was the story? Are we ever going to get to behind the scenes of the show? We will. We will. We will. But for anyone who's new, we are very tangential and we cover a lot of topics here on This Might Get Uncomfortable. I did this because it was my last year of college. I was at Columbia and I came home to Michigan. And one of my assignments in this class, uh, my senior year, was to do something that scared the crap out of me. It was like, choose something that terrifies you and align your will and make a choice and take action and do it. And again, I knew how terrified I was. I've always known of heights. And to me, the most terrifying thing thought, you know what? I'm going to go skydiving. I was 21, 22, 21 or 22 at the time. And there was a place called Skydive Tecumseh, which was out near Ann Arbor, where the University of Michigan is. And yeah, I did the skydiving thing and it was terrifying as hell. So when you were describing pushing yourself over this water slide, it reminded me of going skydiving, which I did in 2013 and have captured on video because it was part of a video project I did on my Eco Vegan Gal YouTube channel. So that'll be linked in the show notes. You can see me go skydiving. And Jason was actually there watching. <laughs> he didn't actually jump out of a plane that day. Maybe it just didn't make sense financially because I was uh, being sponsored. This is a sponsored project I worked on and they paid for my skydiving trip. Is that why you didn't come with me, Jason, or did you just lose the desire to go skydiving again? I think it was probably a financial decision was I knew that you were getting comped as part of the fiesta movement. And I thought, yeah. And also I kind of wanted to watch you dropping from the sky. <laughs> like, oh, this is going to be interesting to watch like her body hurtling to the earth. Was it interesting? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Because I had never been on the ground watching someone else do a skydive. So it was cool for me to have the opposite perspective, having already experienced what it's like to jump. Well, speaking of getting uncomfortable, like jumping out of a plane is certainly one of the most uncomfortable things that you can do. And it's interesting because you said that you have fear of heights. I, I don't know. Consciously, I don't have a fear of heights. It depends on the situation. I certainly get to the top of tall things and feel uncomfortable. But I wouldn't say that I, if someone brought it up, like, what are your top fears? That would probably not come up in my brain. Whereas it sounds like for you, that's a really big thing, Jason. So how did you convince yourself to go skydiving? Well, like I said, I was in a class my senior year at Columbia. And one of the assignments was to willfully choose. It was, I think it was an anthropology class, if I recall. And it was to willfully choose 
to do something that made me fearful or uncomfortable. And the first thing that came to my mind was going skydiving. And I thought, oh, okay, that's interesting. And on a break in between semesters is when I went home to Michigan and booked the skydiving trip. I, back then, I don't think it was that much money. It might have been, I don't know, 150 or $200 or something. And yeah, it was a fascinating experience. I have to say, though, the most terrifying part of it to me was not actually jumping. It was the moment before the jump when they open the hatch. Yep. And you're at like, I think it was 12,000 feet, 15,000 feet, something like, I remember it was between 12 and 15,000 feet. And the force of the air rushing into the cabin of the plane is so strong and so loud. That's when my stomach really sank. It wasn't going up in the plane. It wasn't actually jumping and doing the falling. It was the moment before the jump with the yes. like so loud and so forceful. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Like I really felt like I needed to poop in my pants. <laughs> I was so terrified. Once that hatch opened, then I was like, oh, this shit is real. I mean, it's really strange too. Speaking of other people, like when you were watching that, the kid in front of you drop, like I remember I was the last one out of the plane when I went skydiving. And so just seeing these people go in front of you, you're like, oh, wow, the dread. I don't think it really hit me, though, until I was leaning over, like you have to put your legs out of the plane. And that was like one of those moments that's so lodged in my head because agreed, I didn't feel that nervous in the actual plane. But like once I was out on the window, on the ledge, like about to do it, you have this moment of hesitation that's really intense. And yet it's funny because I would do it again in a heartbeat, even though it is really terrifying. It's so exhilarating. And I hope that a lot of people get to experience it. But again, I mean, I think skydiving is probably relatively easy to to do and stay safe with during COVID, even though you're usually strapped to another person. You're interacting with less people. Believe it or not, I just looked up Water Country in, in New Hampshire and they are opening in a couple weeks. Like their website and social media oh my God. are all gung ho about opening up and all their security measures. And I have mixed feelings about that. I think that it's kind of cool. Like, you know, life is going on despite all of the setbacks that we've had. And as we talked about in a recent episode, it's important to enjoy times like summer and Certainly, water parks, theme parks, all of that are really full of joy. I've enjoyed the idea of Disney World reopening, and I've been seeing TikTok videos about that as well. So I think it's really cool in concept because it's important for us as human beings to kind of go and escape and have fun with our families and our friends. But we also have to really consider the impact that it has on us. In fact, going back to the original idea for this episode... <laughs> <laughs> trying to rein ourselves back to that topic, we had a, a friend of ours that we invited on the show and he doesn't have the equipment or the full setup required to record with us virtually. And he said, well, why don't we do it in person? And Jason and I both considered it. But as of now, in early July, I think things are going to get bad again, especially in Los Angeles where we live. And so I'm not comfortable doing that, but it's also simultaneously uncomfortable to turn down things with friends. And Jason, I don't know if we've talked about you having to cancel your birthday party. Did we? 
Did we discuss that on the show? No. So if you want to talk about that briefly, and then we can continue to inch our way back to the behind the scenes or just continue to weave it in, right? Like, Sure. <laughs> we'll yeah, just weave in the that. behind I- the scenes as much as we can <laughs> and appreciate the listener. Maybe you just enjoy all the little story times and tangents and lessons that we learn throughout our life. I don't know. We don't know these things unless you tell us. You need to write us an email or send us a social media post and let us know if you like when we're all over the place or prefer it when we're kind of hyper-focused on a message or a subject matter. So Jason had to change his birthday celebration. His birthday was on July 6th, and he had plans on July 5th and a few of the other days. And because of what's happening in Los Angeles this week, you had to pivot. So what was that like for you emotionally, Jason? And what did you do instead? You can also talk about some of our guests because I know they were involved with your plans. Yeah, I think it's apropos of what's happening, which is requiring us to be improvisational, for us to pivot our plans, for us to go with the flow and change things in the moment. And enough people had expressed concern to me through text and messaging that they didn't feel fully comfortable coming and being in a group setting because at the time of this recording, as Whitney mentioned, we've seen a pretty significant spike in the number of reported COVID cases here in Los Angeles and certainly other states as well. And for people that had small children or people that were maybe uh, one friend of mine was immunocompromised, I I understand. And so part of it was letting go of an attachment to an idea of how I thought it was going to go because I really love to take my birthday to really celebrate myself. One of the challenges that I have is I don't think I give myself enough credit. I push myself pretty hard still. I'm still pretty unkind to myself at moments. And I've always just liked to earmark my birthday each year to have a day that's just all about me. I really have had some incredible parties and gatherings and surprise parties and adventures and trips. And I've always, even since I was a little boy, just really loved going all out and going gung-ho and really celebrating my birthday. So part of it was a little disappointing, obviously, because I'm used to doing that. But it's also, it is what it is. And if we resist what is and we resist reality and we try and force or control or impose our will on life right now, regardless of being in a Mercury retrograde period, I think that life is showing us very, very quickly that having attachments, having expectations, thinking that we have control or certainty over life is an illusion. And so I was able to let it go a lot easier than I thought, I guess, Whitney, because it's, again, it's apropos of what's happening in life, which is you can't have expectations. If you have expectations or assumptions or try and exercise control over life, life is going to kick your ass. And I don't mean that life itself is malevolent, but I just really think there's some high-level spiritual lessons going around right now. So here's where it gets good, though. In light of not having the gathering with those people, although a few people did show up, my friends Taylor Estes and Adam Yasmin, two great guests we've had here on the podcast, they insisted on showing up. I've actually gotten a lot of great meals out of the deal. Friends have been like, hey, I want to take you out for matcha. I want to take you out for dinner. I want to make dinner for you. So in light of cancellation, I've actually had a lot of really wonderful experiences so far. So even if things don't go the way you expect, sometimes life gives you something even better. Absolutely. And I feel like that's such an important message. And I'm sorry, though, that your some of your joy was not what you were hoping it was going to be. But I think having that positive perspective of shifting things despite those challenges is really important. And I'm glad that you got to see some of our favorite podcast guests, the previous guests that we had. 
One of our intentions today is to talk about how we choose podcast guests in case you, the listener, are curious. And just to kind of brainstorm some upcoming topics, I suppose, because (laughs) when I posted in this podcast group the other day, yesterday, in fact, I had low expectations. And that was an interesting thing to notice within myself, how I assumed that the people who submitted to be on our show would not be just to be blunt of the caliber that I would want. And I think that that was a really judgmental thought to have. So it's uh, good to address these things within ourselves. And I was pleasantly surprised at some of the people that are pitching themselves to come on the show. And actually, as our show continues to grow, we're we're pitched quite often. And and Jason and I have kind of had this policy of, if we don't know this person, then we don't want to have them on the show because it's kind of like our way of quality control. We want to make sure that A, people come on the show that we know have a really great message that's in alignment with what we believe and what we, well, actually, I should say, it's not necessarily what we believe because part of getting uncomfortable right. is challenging our own belief systems and being open-minded. Yes. I guess what I mean is somebody that has a similar perspective, right? For example, one person that submitted to be on our show recently seems a little too, how do I put this? Like their objectives, I don't think are in alignment with ours. So without going into detail and and compromising who they are, this person submitted. And at first I thought, wow, like this is kind of confronting because this person thinks so differently. They live so differently. They have a very different agenda than Jason and I do. And maybe that's interesting. There's still part of me that's open to it. But then I thought, well, the challenge here is that it feels like their perspective and their goals with their work is kind of like based around shame, I guess. Jason, I assume you know who I'm talking about here. I do. It felt like they wanted to limit people's options versus broaden their horizons. Does that sound about right? I think so. And and in particular ways, we do want to honor people's belief systems. And if you have listened to any episodes or it's your first time, for lack of a better word, I think that Whitney and I both have very liberal, open mindsets and open hearts in terms of wanting to be exposed to new perspectives and new belief systems and ways that people see the world that are different than us. But with this particular application, this person, my initial gut intuition reaction was that feels judgmental. It feels like their belief system is coming from a place of restriction or limitation or maybe in a harsher way, trying to oppress people in a certain way. I, I don't know. Right. There's something about it that that to me felt, instead of expansive, felt constricting. Yes. Thank you. That's a really great way to phrase it. And again, like, is it ironic that we're judging somebody for being judgmental to others? You know, And it's an interesting thing. I've been thinking a lot about how I judge people through this time of Black Lives Matter and really reflecting on my own biases and how racism has showed up in my life. We've talked about this in a recent episode. I've been reading the book, How to Be Anti-Racist, which is really lovely, by the way. I prejudged that book and assumed it was going to feel like a textbook, but it actually isn't at all. It's about, so far, I'm like a fifth of the way through, I think, maybe a fourth. But so far, it feels like it's one man 
talking about his experiences and what he learned. And he weaves in history and context, but it feels very personal. And I really enjoy the journey. It's just well constructed. And it's very different from a book like White Fragility, which I talked about in a previous episode, which feels a little bit more like I'm being taught things versus listening to someone's perspective and experience. Anyways, both of those books have really given me a lot to reflect on in terms of racism and and how I've interacted with people and how we judge others and all these different factors that contribute. And so I try to examine that a lot. Like, what am I feeling and why am I feeling that way about somebody? And so I'm actually very grateful to have submissions from people that we don't know, because I think that's part of it, right, is racism, I believe, can either be rooted in or encouraged when you're closed off to people that you don't know, when you're judging someone you don't know and assuming things about them and just kind of putting on your previous experiences with other people onto somebody before you even have a chance to know them. And I think as human beings, it's an important thing for us to check ourselves whenever that comes up is like, am I just making these belief systems based on things that aren't even real, you know? And does that make sense to you, Jason? Do you think about that too? I do. And I also wanted to just interject, Whitney, on what I believe in my philosophical lexicon to be the difference between judgment and discernment, because you're bringing up us evaluating guests. Yeah. So what I believe is the difference and what I've seen show up for me over and over again is that uh, judgment has a very acute and specific energetic charge on how we're perceiving something. So as a situation would be, say, in this exact context of evaluating someone like, oh God, they believe in that? I can't believe that's their spirituality. That's their religion. That's their belief system. Like, ugh, no way. So you can feel there's a constriction and there's an energetic charge on a judgment, right? Like, we're almost shaming them back. Like, ugh, I can't believe you believe it. There's no way in hell you're ever going to be a guest. Right, right. A discernment doesn't have that energetic charge or that negative context around it. It just goes, okay, you know what? I don't think they're the right fit. My intuition's telling me not a good fit and that's okay, right? I'm not leveraging any kind of guilt, shame, negativity their way. So for me, again, in my kind of spiritual philosophical lexicon, a judgment has a charge on it, whereas a discernment doesn't have that charge. Thank you so much for sharing those differences. And I think that's true. I mean, when I first saw this submission from this person we're referencing right now, I actually don't have a problem with their perspective. It's just, as you're saying, Jason, it doesn't feel like a fit for the show and the messages that we're trying to share in the world. And it is like an interesting gray area because I feel like everybody's opinions and perspectives are valid in a way. And yet there's a time and a place to share them. And they might, as you're saying, just not be a fit. And one thing that we really work on with this might get uncomfortable is to avoid shame and that judgment as we're talking about and the constriction and like oppression and things like that. I mean, that's the opposite of what we're trying to talk about. And I think that without getting into details about what this one guest wanted to come on the show to discuss... I think it's certainly interesting, but I wouldn't want, it's almost like I feel protective over you, the listener. And in a way, not to like think that I have to protect you from something, meaning like you're not intelligent enough to like take in information and discern it yourself. But 
I think there's a responsibility that comes with being a podcaster and being very clear about where you stand on things and having a mission statement. And right now, our work is really based in openness and inclusion and not shaming people and saying, like, it's okay that you have those feelings. It's okay that you have these urges. It's okay that you look a certain way or you feel a certain way. And what I worried about with this one guest is that there might be too much of a like, hey, you know, you might be doing this thing, but you really shouldn't be, I guess. It was like, I guess I was fearing that that person would come from that like should and shouldn't perspective, if that makes sense. Yeah, completely. And you know, there's nothing wrong with discernment and trusting your intuition on things. Again, I think where there is a pause for concern is when we are feeling a negative, violent, shameful charge towards someone else. Judgment is something I think that is almost like a means of getting our attention, right? Whereas discernment, we exercise discernment all the time. Again, just to use another metaphor, it's like you go to the ice cream store. <laughs> we talked about ice cream in a very recent episode. And when I go to the ice cream store, I'm not looking at the case going like, ugh, vanilla. Vanilla sucks ass. Fuck vanilla. I'll never get vanilla. It's just I'm looking at the case and I'm like, you know what? I choose mint chocolate chip. It doesn't mean that I'm hateful or angry toward vanilla or chocolate or Rocky Road. And at the risk of sounding pedantic, it's it can be that same way with a lot of choices in life. We don't have to be like, ugh, I'd never do that. We can just go, yeah, I know that's not for me. I just know intuitively it's not for me. Nothing wrong with it. Just not for me. Absolutely. And I think with that said, too, there are going to be guests that come on this show that aren't going to feel right for the listener. And I think sometimes I have this fear of people like abandoning the show and choosing not to listen because of one episode or one thing that we said. And and then when I center myself in that, I think, well, our ideal listener is somebody with an open mind and an open heart. But, you know, sometimes people get triggered by something and it's really tough for them to move past that. So ultimately, the best that we can do on this show is to use our discernment as Jason's talking about here and also retain our own open minds. And maybe somebody doesn't feel right right now. The trick is then how do, <laughs> how do you communicate it to this person? Hopefully, when somebody submits themselves for the show, they don't feel offended if we don't get back to them or something. I don't know if we have to respond to every single person. It actually reminds me of when I was in high school. I was starting to have a lot of passion for filmmaking. And I can't remember if I was a senior or a junior. I was probably a senior. I had this incredible mentor at my school who was the theater director. And wow, was I blessed with this human being. He is actually pretty cool because he was multi-talented. He taught French. He taught theater. He taught, not only taught theater, he directed theater, and he also taught an acting class at my school. But then he also became a mentor of mine as I learned about filmmaking. And when I was in high school, we didn't have access to things like YouTube yet. So filmmaking was like literally using this old dated equipment and, and people weren't doing it. We didn't have iPhones, you know, like this is back in the Stone Age in a lot of ways. <laughs> so it just changed in our lifetimes as we've talked about. So I, so I was really like one of the only people in school that was making films and videos back then, whereas now everybody's got Instagram or TikTok or YouTube or whatever else. Like it's so commonplace for people to make short films and 
skits and things, but I was like one out of a couple people that did stuff like that and probably the most passionate and active with it. And my theater slash French teacher said that he would be my mentor. And I he actually created like a whole special, I don't know what the term would be for it, like a special track, educational track, like mentorship program for me. I, I think it was my senior year. And what my big project was that I had to direct a short film. And I found this script called Richard Freshman. No idea how I found it. It was somewhere on the web. And I downloaded this short film and I had to do auditions. And I remember how challenging it was. The very first time I had to like choose the cast and then turn people down. And I didn't know like, should I call people? Should I like personally go up to each person and say, hey, you didn't get the part? I actually don't remember exactly how I handled it. I have a vague recollection of like posting the cast list up on some bulletin board just because I I guess that's how you did it. <laughs> it's like that cliche thing you see on TV shows and movies like the oh, theater totally. cast being chosen. And I yes. think that's what I did. But I just remember how uncomfortable it was to have to turn people down. And I was thinking about that yesterday and today as we were going through all these submissions. It's like all of these people are valid and they have great assets and you know everybody has their strengths, but some people just aren't a fit right now. And I guess it's interesting, like how do you choose not to go with somebody without offending them? And I think that's also a important thing to remember being on both sides of it. You know, one thing that Jason and I do quite often is put ourselves out there for opportunities. <laughs> uh, the two of us work with brands, for example, and they'll hire us for sponsorship campaigns or various projects. And sometimes we apply for things and we don't get chosen for them. We do freelance work. Jason and I have a lot of different skills. He, Jason's very skilled at copywriting, for example, and I do a lot of social media marketing. And And the two of us actually in the past few months, six months or so, three months maybe, have applied for different freelance gigs and consultant work. And we've been turned down and we've had some raw conversations around how it feels to be rejected and have somebody chosen over you. It's It's intense, you know? It's hard because I think there's also this idea that your perception of self is often very different than other people's perception of you. So earlier this year, right at, I think the first month of quarantine, I had an opportunity that came through my agent to audition for a commercial and it was a digital casting and I sent in an audition tape, funny, on my iPhone, an audition video of me singing. They wanted it, it was gonna be a, a commercial spot for a really big brand and I was going to be singing. So I actually got put on a veil for it. So I had two auditions. I got put on a veil. I'm like, I'm booking this commercial. I had that feeling in my bones of like, I did this. This shit is mine. I booked this. And they were supposed to respond. And they said, we're still making decisions. We're still waiting. So it ended up being like a week and a half, almost two weeks between being put on a veil and waiting to hear. And so my mind is going crazy. Like, oh, did they choose me? Did they not choose me? I really thought I slayed that audition. I really thought I did really well on both the audition and the callback. 
And then I ended up getting an email that the production company said the client has chosen to go in a different direction, which was kind of a relief to be honest with you, because the fact that the client scrapped the creative and went in a different direction, my ego was like, oh, yay, someone didn't get picked over me, right? Because there's almost something that's more of a relief when a client goes in a different direction and no one gets picked versus like, yeah, you didn't get chosen. Everyone's like, oh, if you're going to be a talent and you're going to be whatever, an actor, performer, musician, blah, 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 artist, you got to have really thick skin. But I'm a really sensitive person and auditioning and singing and doing music and doing acting, it's always been a very difficult thing for me because I've had to learn and keep relearning how to not take it personally. It didn't mean I sucked. It didn't mean I was less good than someone else. Although sometimes, yeah, it does mean that. (laughs) But sometimes they just look at you and go, yeah, they're not the right fit. They don't necessarily have a reason for it. It's just an intuitive thing. So I think it's just a lesson that certainly, Whitney, as you alluded to, I keep getting over and over again. Oh, yeah. And it comes up in so many different ways. I mean, as I was thinking about this process, when you post like, hey, I'm looking for podcast guests as I did yesterday and you're flooded with people. I mean, I had this desire to acknowledge everybody. You know, I want to make sure that everyone feels like valued in their way. And then there was this moment of like, oh, gosh, like, how do I show acknowledgement and appreciation for someone without saying like, hey, you know, basically like how do you acknowledge someone but also like not make them feel rejected? And then also reminds me of all the different little ways that we can feel rejected by somebody, like not getting a text back from them or not getting an email response to something. I mean, it goes the other way too. We've invited guests on the show and they've never returned our emails. I mean, this has been happening a ton recently as Jason and I have been branching out of our immediate friend group or acquaintances, people that we know and kind of were like easy. I think that's maybe where we're at with the show as we are getting closer and closer to the 100th episode. Now we're at a point where we've tapped out of those like initial resources of our guests. And there are so many people. I mean, there's an endless supply of guests to have on the show. You, the listener, might be thinking, oh, maybe I'll submit to be a guest. And we'll get to that point eventually. At this moment, now we have plenty of people. It's just a matter of coordinating our schedules. <laughs> but um, we were pitching some people and, and starting to feel brave about asking people to be on our show that we felt like hesitant to at first. And gosh, there's been so many people who would never respond to our emails and still haven't to this day or people that said that they would be on the show. And then by the time you try to book them on the show, suddenly they ghost you. And it's it's interesting. I mean, you mentioned this, Jason, on a recent episode, how one person you had texted like three times and you felt like you were almost going to write this person off. And then didn't something shift? Like you found out you were texting the wrong number all along. I mean, that's another side of this is you have to remember that just because it's almost like coming from the ego where you're like, gosh, how dare that person not respond to me? But I've certainly been in the position where I haven't responded to somebody for one reason or another. Like it could have been they ended up in the junk mail and I didn't see it. It could be that I didn't know them and so I didn't trust them. It could be that I had a ton of other priorities and I felt overwhelmed. I just haven't gotten back to them yet. It could be that I didn't know how to respond because I didn't really know what I wanted. I mean, when I think about my experience, and the number of factors that go into saying yes or no to an opportunity, that helps me feel more compassion. And Jason, I'd love for you to share the story of 
figuring out that it was the wrong phone number all along or something like that, right? Yeah, it was their old number. And then they sent me a message back going like, oh my God, this is my old number. I barely ever check it. Here's my new number. So then we got into a text stream and then started talking about life. And then he hasn't texted me back on the new number. So I'm like, I roll, I roll. (laughs) But then again, right? You don't really, first of all, I don't understand this concept of old number versus new. Like, why do you still have the old number and how are you able to check it? No idea. Didn't get into that level of detail. Oh. Here's the thing that I noticed, though, within me. And this is an ongoing thing that I still have remnants of this. I don't want to call it an old mentality because it's still there. It's just not as mm, potent as it used to be for me. And that's for the longest time, Whitney, I think that I have been motivated, especially when I was younger by having a chip on my shoulder. And I have found a lot of motivation in the past in feeling slighted or rejected or overlooked by certain people, and then using that as fuel or motivation to do better than them and using that as a big fuck you. So I have to be very mindful of things like this as an example of fueling my old chip on the shoulder motivation mentality, which is basically, and and there's a lot of examples in our industry of this, of people that I've been introduced to and messaged or sent emails to or followed up with and never just bird chirps. Like in person, they'll treat me a certain way, but then texting or emailing or trying to connect with them on a business level or creative level, it's just crickets. And in the past, yeah, I've used that as like, you know what? I'm going to do this new project and it's going to be bigger and better and I'm going to be more successful and more influential than you and go fuck yourself. And I've had to be really, really mindful of not letting that anger and that feeling of being slighted be the fuel for me. Because ultimately, I think that it's an unsustainable motivation and it can start to get a little toxic. And I'll admit that I have that too. I was actually just thinking that about somebody as we were recording, to be frank, you know, like, wow, we're going to put all this work into our podcast and it's going to reach all these people. And maybe this person that rejected me in the past and doesn't talk to me anymore will find the podcast because it's going to be so big and they won't be able to ignore it anymore. You know, like that mentality. And then sometimes you'll get humbled and you'll realize like, Maybe you're not as big or important as you think that you are or want to be. And that's okay too, because coming back to that idea, Jason, that I think a lot of us can relate to is that desire to want to like show your worth to somebody, you know, like, how dare you reject me? Let me show you how great I am. And I think a lot of us have those feelings and that desire, but what does it really do? You know, like, actually, that teacher I brought up earlier and that mentor I had in high school, I often would feel that way with him because, gosh, I mean, that's going deep. Let me think about this. He was like one of those people that I really looked up to and still do. I mean, he has such a special place in my heart, but I remember at certain stages, he was a really tough teacher at times, especially when he was teaching me French. And I went to a really small school in a small town. So our teachers would kind of rotate around. And so he taught French like one year or something, like probably because there wasn't a French teacher that to replace him or something. I don't know what the deal was, but he was a really challenging French teacher. And I think it actually had a long-term effect on me because I felt so self-conscious about taking French, but I loved the language. I stuck with it all throughout high school. I didn't take it in college, but 
I loved French and yet I felt so much shame around it and my ability to speak it still to this day. I hesitate to speak French, even though it's like this deep love. And he has a deep love for it too. And that's why he was teaching it. And he was just like so good at it, but he kind of had like a shaming teaching style and a shaming directing style when he would direct these plays. And I think that was part of his commitment to excellence. He was somebody that upheld really high standards for himself and all of his students. And that caused a lot of people to respond and working really hard to prove themselves. And so he was one of those teachers where I felt like I was always trying to prove myself to him and show that I was like great because I never felt like he saw that within me. And as I tell these stories, I think of all these examples, like another time I did a short film for a project and and was so proud of it. And he gave me like a really bad grade because like the audio quality was bad. And I felt so disappointed because I worked so hard on it. And I was like, gosh, I'll never be good enough. And those desires for him to approve of me and my work stuck with me for many years. And I actually continued to do short films for a long time after high school and college. And I was pursuing this film career. And one day I had posted a clip, like a trailer, I think, for one of my short films. This is probably about 10 years ago. That sounds about right. I think it was like 2009, 2010. I posted it on Facebook and he commented something like, wow, Whitney, you're such a talented actress. Like a very genuine, he doesn't like type superficial comments. Like I knew he meant it. And it was really satisfying. And that comments obviously stuck with me all these years. But you know what, Jason? It didn't like have this massive effect in my life. So my point is that sometimes you're seeking somebody's approval for years and you finally get it and that's it. You know, it's not like your life is suddenly perfect and everything's great because you finally won the approval. So if you think about this specific person that you brought up, Jason, and for you, the listener, you could think about anybody that you felt rejected by or you were never good enough for them. Like it almost could help to imagine them approving of you and or saying or doing something that shows like they're validating you. And then like that's just as good as actually getting it from them because your life isn't going to change that dramatically. And I think that can get us out of this cycle of constantly trying to prove ourselves because ultimately what we're really looking for is our own sense of worthiness. It's not about other people. That's right. And I'm glad you said that because that's ultimately absolutely what it is. If we are strung out on someone else's love, approval, attention, validation, it's drug chasing. We're chasing a feeling. We're chasing a high. We're chasing a sense of self. But if we can transmute that desire into loving ourselves more, approving of ourselves more, giving ourselves that attention that we might be seeking from a parent, a teacher, a colleague, whatever it is. I'm so glad that you wrapped it up with that, Whitney, because I think for me, it's been the absolute truth is, you know, if I look back to, I suppose, the origin of this chip on the shoulder mentality and trying to prove myself, it's from my relationship with my dad, which we've detailed in several episodes, most recently, the Father's Day episode, is that, you know, my desire to succeed or be famous, or be rich, or be influential, or outdo everyone in my industry, is really going back to like, see dad, I'm awesome. Love me, approve of me. Of course, he's deceased now. I can't get his approval, which is probably good in a way, because it means that in those moments that I still find myself operating from that chip on the shoulder, I can't get his approval. I have to ultimately approve of myself, as you've said. You know, That's really what it comes down to is 
what we're really seeking is our own love and approval. That's right. And so if you, the listener, want to be a guest on our show, submit yourself. And if you don't get chosen, don't take it so hard. (laughs) I guess that's part of the message here, you know, and as we continue to grow, that becomes a hard part of of running any business, but it's certainly challenging on our end to like, again, just in the past 24 hours going from, well, we don't have a guest for this week's episode. What are we going to do? And feeling we were like scrambling because we're very committed to staying on schedule and delivering what we promised to you. And our current promise to you is releasing a guest episode every Friday. And, And maybe you don't care that much. Maybe you wouldn't have noticed if we hadn't pointed it out. But part of our work here is to be very transparent about our process. And it's just so fascinating to go from like zero to 60, whereas like zero was not having a guest and 60 is us having a flood of guest submissions. And it was a really wonderful learning process and still continues to be because not only did it show me how I was prejudging like strangers, you know, thinking like, oh, they're not going to be up to our caliber and then being proven so wrong. I was actually moved to tears by some of the people that submitted because they are just such remarkable people and they were really detail-oriented. And there was so much diversity as well, actually. I was thrilled with that. And we really are aiming to bring more diverse guests on here. And diversity could be age and gender and sexuality and ethnicity and you know geography. And I want to bring on all these different perspectives to talk about wellness. As we said in a recent episode, we don't want wellness to be just for white people. We don't want it to feel biased or slanted and we want it to be incredibly inclusive and everybody to feel represented here and bring on these different voices. It also showed me, I mean, at one point there was the submissions we received were very diverse. And then as we we started to get more, I realized there were a lot of white women submitting themselves to be guests. And so that's interesting too, just Maybe there's a lot of white women listening. I think well-being really appeals to that white woman, but I hope that it starts to appeal to a diverse amount of people and different types of people. And that's part of the reason we're dedicated to bringing on diversity in our guests so that inclusivity is there. Well, I think that we have accomplished our primary goal, which was to talk a little bit about the guest process go on some tangents, tell you little stories about our lives that might be interesting to you. And another thing that we're really committed to these days is to end our episodes talking about frequently asked queries, which is a new segment we started. And if you are brand new to our show and you've made it this far, you're probably our ideal listener. Maybe we've captured your attention for life. We're very grateful that you're here. We hope that you subscribe to the show. And if you've listened to a few episodes and haven't done that yet, The benefit of subscribing is just that you get alerted. We actually have no idea how many people subscribe. Podcasters aren't really able to tell that. What we can tell is how people feel about the show when they leave reviews. So if you are really digging these episodes, no matter how many you've listened to, you can write us a review on iTunes and that helps other people find our show. It's kind of what they call social proof. So if you take the time, even a sentence or two about how you feel, that would be amazing. And also, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, we love hearing from you. We love receiving emails from you. Our email is hello at wellevator.com. And wellevator is spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. That's obviously our website address as well, wellevator.com. Our podcast show notes, there's transcriptions and resources for every single episode. Those are called show notes. 
And those are at podcast.wellevator.com. And that's really the best hub for you. You can find our email there very easily. You can find all of our social media handles. You can find links to all the resources. For instance, in this episode, we talked about some books and other podcast guests. We talked about water parks and foods and, you know, so much comes up. If you want to explore any of those things in more depth, we would love you to check that out. And actually, one thing we do in addition to the frequently asked queries we're about to get into is to shout out brands we love. So each of us will talk about some brands that we've really been enjoying recently. And one that I'd love to give a shout out in this episode is Goddess Provisions. It is my favorite subscription box. I receive it every single month. I just got the current box for July and it's got this like desert theme. It's really cool. I'm planning uh, to do a TikTok video on it, maybe a YouTube video, maybe a blog post. So I'll link to any of that content that I do that'll link to Goddess Provisions will be in the show notes for you. And if we have any special codes, I'm trying to think if we have a discount code for them. I don't think we do, but we will link to them. If you like our podcast, you will probably love, 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 love Goddess Provisions. Just to tell you real quick about some things that are in the box right now, there is a amazing essential oil blend, which they send in many of their boxes. This one's called Chica Botanica High Desert Wildcrafted Roll-On Oil Blend. It smells amazing. Jason, you would love it. It has white sage, purple sage, actually like three different types of sage in it, plus a grapefruit and cedarwood. Pretty remarkable. Ooh. Yeah. you. That combination sounds stellar. Every time I talk about goddess provisions, I wonder why you don't get this box because it's not just for women. It's for men as well. It should be called the God, and then like in parentheses, S, so it includes all genders. But I guess you could relate to being a goddess sometimes, Jason. It's true. The other thing that is really cool, they sent a little essential oil pouch, which is cute. It's got like cactus and suns and uh, mountains and stuff on it. So I'll be storing my essential oils in there because I have quite the collection now. And there's a crystal bar soap. There's this company that's called Crystal Bar Soap. And they've sent, I think, three that I've received. And each one is a little different. This one has a desert lover theme with rose quartz. So I think it actually has a piece of rose quartz in it. I think all of the soaps, once you finish using them at the end, you get like a little prize. (laughs) And that's the crystal or the stone of the month. So I'm excited about it. And it has a cedarwood smell and it has rose clay in it which is pretty neat. So those are just a few things that are in Goddess Provisions box. So absolutely love them. Jason, what's the brand you wanted to shout out today? I've talked about this brand briefly on our episode with Sunny about cruelty-free beauty. Which is funny because that's, I think the last time I mentioned Goddess Provisions was in that same episode. Yeah. I want to give a shout out to my friends, Nadine and Ron Artemis, who are the geniuses behind Living Libations. I've been using Living Libations since 2009, when I first spoke at the Longevity Now conference, we've mentioned that conference and our involvement over the many years on episodes. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like that conference is going to continue anytime soon, but uh, Living Libations is going strong. And Nadine is just a wonderful beauty alchemist in using really, really high quality organic oils and botanicals, flower essences, crystal essences. And I really love their Maverick line of men's products. I have used their Maverick essential oil, their deodorant. My favorite 
one in their men's line is the Maverick face cream. I've been using that, like I said, almost 10 years. And it's so lush and so beautiful. The one unique, super unique ingredient, I mean, it's all unique, but the one super unique ingredient is blue tansy. And it has a really wonderful, earthy, floral, yet masculine scent to it. And my skin loves it. I just turned 43. Yay. And you know, it's one of my regimens along with a healthy diet and exercise and sunshine and all the things we talk about here on the podcast, just to keep myself looking good and looking shiny and youthful. So big, big props for men and women, whatever your chosen gender identity. If you want to look good, look plump, look glowing, look beautiful. I adore Nadine and Ron and their entire line at Living Libations. All right. Well, with no further ado, shall we get into the frequently asked queries? Yeah, make it crazy. Make it make, okay. pick out some good ones. <laughs> I'm in the mood for some WTF right now. Okay. Okay. Well, if you're brand new to our show and you haven't heard this segment yet, what we do is we pull from Google Analytics and these are the search entries, the queries as they call it, that people type into Google that lead them to our show. And the way, you know, that Google works is you search for something and you get all these different hits all these different websites that have that phrase. And because Jason and I talk about so much and every single episode has a transcript, sometimes the words that we say are related to these very odd queries. And I also use this cool website called Exploding Topics, which has a lot of interesting things that people are searching for across the web. I don't know if I have anything from there today. But I love organizing things. And one way that I organize is by sentiment. So (laughs) I categorize these queries by funny, interesting, and serious. Which one would you like first, Jason? Mm, Interesting. Okay. I kind of predicted you were going to say that. Gosh, where do I go from here? Some of these can be full episodes. They're that interesting. Hmm. Oh, I actually really liked this one, but I kind of wanted to save this. Hmm. This is tricky. All right. I'll just go with it because I found this one super interesting. The the query was, can anxiety make you itch? Hmm. Well, directly talking about, I suppose, my level of anxiety and stress, I have been battling eczema for three years. And right now it's subsided, thankfully. In late 2016, the fall of 2016, I started to get these crazy eczema breakouts. And the more and more research I started to do into eczema, I found that a lot of it was related to emotional stress and anxiety. And to be honest, my lifestyle and my chosen work and the projects I've taken on the past, say, five years have been really stressful, and I've chosen to have stress reactions to them. So in a roundabout way, I definitely can say that my personal eczema, I can link that to a lot of emotional stress and anxiety in my life. I don't know if that's the kind of itch they want to know about, but eczema is really, really freaking itchy and really uncomfortable. Well, we never know. And we're not trying to give the perfect answer to these queries. We're just trying to talk about some interesting things. And speaking of itching, another one that I thought was interesting was the query, Captain Itch. I don't even know where to go with that. <laughs> As if you wanted a superpower. Yep. And you were blessed with a superpower to make your adversaries very itchy, right? Instead of like Wolverine claws or controlling the weather like Storm or laser vision like Cyclops, you're like, 
someone like is running at you to like battle you and you're like, I'm going to make you itchy. And they're like, no, not this, nothing but the itch. <laughs> like that's out of all the superpowers, you can make other people itchy on demand. <laughs> Sounds lame at first, but effective in execution. <laughs> well, you know, what's funny is I really enjoy Jason's take on these queries. <laughs> It's like, you know, for me, where mine went was like, maybe it was like the name of a children's book, like Captain Underpants. But then I found out that when you type in Captain Itch, the number one result is quality motorcycle leather goods. (laughs) Wow. Okay. And one of their products is called the Crotch Cooler. Maybe you need that, Jason, since you ride motorcycles. I wonder if they have any vegan products. Maybe I do need the crotch cooler because during the summer months riding a motorcycle, (laughs) the crotch does get itchy. Yes, it does. Yeah, that seems to be the main result. The first page of Google is like all about this company called Captain Itch. That's a great name. I actually want to go to their about section and see like, I also can't wait to see their logo. What do you think their logo looks like? Probably a guy in assless chaps with uh, some kind of mask on. No, assless chaps. Maybe that's too much village people. Maybe I'm imagining one of the members of the village people. Am I off? Am I anywhere in the ballpark? It's like a drawing of a dude with a handlebar mustache and long hair. I was close with the village people. Yes, I was. Actually, you were. And it's just a close-up of his face. He's like giving the side eye slash the French bulldog proud Frenchy face that we do all the time. Yeah, so maybe he's like, young men. If your crotch is itchy, I said, young man, don't keep being bitchy. Just get this rub and put it on your crotch and you can ride even longer. Din, 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 din. Just come and get some Captain Itch Balm. You're welcome. Well, um, <laughs> no reaction. <laughs> <laughs> I, I highly recommend going to the about section of Captain Itch. Dot com. It's captain-itch.com. I love how we're plugging this company that doesn't even look like it's vegan. And I haven't looked in, in depth at all, but there's a picture of a guy fishing, mention of leather goods. But you know what? As we said earlier, we're trying not to judge just because someone lives differently than us. So it's based in Tennessee. And if you found our show because we plugged Captain Itch, welcome. But I can't, I don't know. I, I'm kind of guessing like somebody that's searching for Captain Itch doesn't want to listen to our podcast, but I could be wrong. We do not know. All right. So does Captain Itch count as our funny query today, Jason, or do you want a different query? No, I think that probably counts. I got to sing a parody of the village people, so I'm pretty satisfied with that. Okay. Pretty satisfied. (laughs) Well, that just leaves us with a serious query. So, but I feel like ending on the serious query might like, sound like a downer. But you know what? Actually, this one is not much of a downer. Let me use this one. Okay, you ready? Go for it. The query was how to manifest someone to contact you. (laughs) (laughs) Which kind of ties in, like we were talking about Mercury in retrograde. We were talking about goddess provisions here. Like, yeah. We were talking about some things like manifestation falls into this category, although we did on a recent episode talk about how manifestation might be a little of a bit of a privileged perspective. 
I think how to get someone to contact you, how to manifest someone to contact you, here's an easy way. Contact them first. (laughs) You're waiting around all day. I've got my incense and my crystals and I've got my vision board with all kinds of pictures of them and then they're just going to like magically call me. How about you send the email first or you try and get in touch with their agent or their PR person or their manager, whoever the hell it is. Like a real good way to initiate contact in the universe is to reach out first. I'm sorry. Was that me being condescending a little bit? Maybe. It's like, but you know what? That goes back to the rejection lesson too, is like, there's no guarantee someone's going to contact you back. But if you don't send an email or you don't contact their representative or you don't initiate, you're not going to get an email back, right? So you've got to be willing to put yourself out there and take a risk and take a chance and try and initiate contact, right? Because there's been people over the course of my career that I've reached out to and emailed about you know, supporting a book launch, supporting the launch of my TV show. And I was scared to death to email them. I was like, I'm going to seem puny. I'm going to seem like, who's this young guy contacting me and asking for a shout out? But I have been pleasantly surprised where a lot of colleagues and heroes and people I've held in high regard have emailed me back and have worked with me on things. So the short answer is, you know, call them or reach out or email them first. Fair enough. Hey, sometimes you just need some blunt advice. And we kind of have this mixture of spirituality and spiritual perspectives on certain topics. And some things may be a little bit more straightforward. And I mean, spirituality, I guess, isn't uh, mutually exclusive. Like you can be spiritually minded and straightforward. But I guess I would assume that somebody searching for information on manifestation wants to know, like, what candles should I light? (laughs) Or what affirmation could I say? Or what music should I listen to? You know? And hey, none of that stuff hurts if you enjoy having like a ritual, like a conjuring type of thing (laughs) that makes you feel good. Great. Like there's no harm in doing it. I mean, a lot of the things that I get from God's provisions are based on things like that, you know, and I like burning incense and lighting candles and putting on essential oils. And I love the feng shui of crystals and all of that. And we, we had a great episode about feng shui with Dana, by the way, that if you're into that, highly recommend listening to that. But you know what? My perspective on a lot of these practices is doing it because it brings me joy and peace and comfort, but I'm not dependent on it. And I think that's part of your point, Jason, if I may, is that you sometimes you just have to not rely on those techniques and tactics. The manifestation might be more of you being purposeful and taking action and not just like waiting for something to happen or wishing for it to happen. I think it takes a a number of different things. And sometimes it's just a coincidence. Like we think we're manifesting it, but it's simply because we're thinking about it so much that we are taking action. I'm a big believer in visualization. And actually, I'm redoing my visualization board right now. My practice is to have it as the desktop image on my computer. And so I'm looking at it for many hours of the day. And part of that is that it brings me joy to look at those things. It keeps me focused on my goals. It keeps me reminded of the things that I want so that I'm intentional about my schedule and where I'm setting my priorities each day. And I'm taking those steps and I'm staying in a positive mentality around something. So. That's usually a big part of my practice when it comes to manifesting. But I'm glad that you jumped in with that point, Jason, of sometimes you just have to be courageous and you have to take the first step towards something instead of waiting for it to come to you. Yeah, I think there's a balance of staying open and staying 
energetically aligned with the thing or the person or the situation that you want to experience. And also, fortune favors the bold. Mic drop. That's a good note to end on. I think so. I mean, I guess to tie, bring it full circle, if you're trying to manifest being a guest on our show or somebody else's show or trying to manifest a job or an opportunity or something, like all the different things that we've explored, maybe you're trying to manifest a trip to a water park. Maybe you just need to take that next step to making it happen and then be unattached to the outcome and the results of it. You also never know because timing is a huge part of this. Just because something is a no doesn't mean it's a permanent no. It could just be a maybe. It could be a not right now. So I think that's a good note to end on. And we are so grateful for you, the listener. We really hope that you send us a message. Hey, listen, speaking of rejection, we mention on every single episode that we would love to hear from you. And only a small percentage of our listeners actually take the action the initiative to send us messages or emails or leave us reviews. But you know what? That's not stopping us from asking. We're going to continue to ask you and be unattached to when you do it or if you ever do it. You may just continue to listen to the episodes of our show. You may choose to subscribe. You might not. You may stop listening after this episode. We don't know, but that's not going to prevent us from continuing to do what we really love. So thank you for those of you who do take those actions. Thank you to those of you who don't. Thank you to the new listeners and the dedicated listeners that have been with us from day one. We appreciate all of you, wherever you may be. We will be back with another episode on Monday and Wednesday. And then next Friday, we will have a guest. So, And many guests, actually. We have the next five plus weeks lined up with amazing people. So look forward to that. Thank you for listening and hope you take really great care of yourself in between episodes. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.